Thank you, worship team, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Second Service at MRCC. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online. We're thrilled that you're with us. And, you know, I, I was thinking this morning, uh, school's out this week. It's a three-day weekend. Everybody's got the flu, so there'll be some seats to sit in uh, at Second Service at MRCC. We didn't have to put in any extra chairs. You know, I just want to take the opportunity right now to thank you, uh, especially in Second Service. Sometimes happens in third, once in a while in first, but just the crowding that we deal with and your patience with that is a, a really big deal. So thank you for being so patient, so understanding as we try to accommodate everybody. Um, you know, Easter, have you noticed how early Easter is this year? It's the first Sunday in April, and um, that morning we're going to do four services, 8, 9, 10, and 11, so you'll have to either go 9 or 10 o'clock, and we're going to try and make room for everybody that way, but uh, yeah, thank you for your patience and all that. It's great to be with you this morning. I apologize for the sound of my voice. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have waded through the flu in the last couple of weeks. I was off the week before, went up to Bellevue, spent uh, the week in a room with 100 other guys. And by about halfway through it, half of us were sick. Uh, I ended up having to come home early. And, and you know, this morning, by way of appreciation, you know, I, you know this better than me, this flu bug's just been running around. We had to replace half of our kids' church staff Friday and Saturday because people came down sick, and half of our worship team this weekend because people came down sick. But huge appreciation because wherever there was a need, somebody stepped up and said, I'll, I'll serve in somebody else's place. Can we just thank them for that? Yeah, that's a big deal. That really is a cool. You, you may not know this, but on a Sunday morning, in order to have our three services here at MRCC every single Sunday, it takes about 85 volunteers to make that happen every single week. And all the people who do that so faithfully, we can't appreciate you enough. So, so huge thanks for that. A uh, couple of quick things to call your attention to. I'm giving announcements this morning. So a couple of quick things. First of all, uh, a celebration. A couple of weeks ago, you know, we had our annual child sponsorship Sunday. And over the course of that morning, we had 29 kids adopted through compassion and mercy reigns and 52 new sponsors for the Emmanuel girls school in India that's pretty cool so yeah cool stuff thank you to everybody who stepped up I think somebody told me that they play a game with their sister on Sunday morning how many times is pastor going to Greg ask for spontaneous applause we're up to two right now we'll see how many we can go but uh Anyway, seriously, appreciation for everybody uh, stepping up in that way. A couple of quick announcements. First of all, this week, as you know, no school in the Imclaw School District. And so as a consequence, we won't have midweek activities this week. So Wednesday night, there won't be youth group or impact or forge, any of the kids' ministry. So this is a week off for that. Take notice of that. And then also, uh, friends, coming up on March 10th is our church's annual business meeting. That's a Sunday evening. And uh, I want to ask you to please make a plan, as, if you can at all, to kind of be a part of that with us, especially if you're a member. Uh, that's a big deal. But even if you're not, if, if you call this your home church, we meet for about an hour, hour and a half, once a year, and we have to conduct some important business as a church. We, we need to vote on new deacons. You should have received notification in the mail if you're on the mailing list that describes the four candidates to become deacons this year. We need to decide who those are going to be. We need to pray and vote together together on two of those folks and then as well the uh the oversight we're an assembly of god church within the assemblies of god tradition and uh you know the northwest district notified all of the churches in fall in the fall that because of some law changes in the state of washington 
we need to make some housekeeping adjustments to our constitution and bylaws. What that really boils down to is some laws have changed, which if we don't change some of the legal language in our constitution bylaws, could make the church uh, open to certain kinds of, uh, of legal challenges. And so we just need to insert this language into our constitution bylaws. That's something we need to do together at the annual business meeting. So I'm hoping that you can come join us that night, uh, March 10th, just what, I guess, about three and a half weeks away. Uh, be praying about who God wants to call into leadership at our church as deacons. Uh, but that's a big deal, important night. Last thing is coming up on the 15th and 16th of March is also the, uh, the women's conference. And you can sign up for that, ladies, through the, uh, the code on the seat back in front of you at the guest center. Call the church office, go through the website, whatever works for you. But we'd love to invite you, include you uh, in this year's ladies' conference. It'll be happening over in Yakima on the 15th and 16th. You can probably tell after listening to me that I'm battling through recovery from this flu thing. So uh, I think I'm going to make it through second service. Pray for third service that I'm not talking like this by the time we get to third service. So uh, appreciate it. Grab your Bible, church, if you would. Open it to Luke chapter 17 and Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to continue this teaching series called Set Apart this morning. Uh, and remember, the big idea is that Jesus calls us to be different in some very specific ways than the world around us, than the culture around us. We've talked about some of those ways over the last few weeks, and now we're kind of in the home stretch on that. And this morning, God wants to talk to us about a, another really important way in which we're called to be very different than the world around us. And so let me begin by asking you this. Fellas, in case you missed it, it was Valentine's Day this week, all right? <laughs> how, how did you do on Valentine's Day this year? Those of you who have wives or girlfriends, did you have your A game, your B game? Raise your hand if you just killed it, if you just hit it out of the park this year. Yeah, one guy. Nice. All right. Outstanding. Yeah. Oh, well, one more over here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, Valentine's Day is something that I've always wanted to be good at, but I don't know that I always have. In fact, I know that I haven't always been good at it. Uh, I don't know. We, we guys struggle to make, most of us struggle to make Valentine's Day something special. And um, I, I got to tell you about probably my worst fail on Valentine's Day. It was many years ago. I was in my 20s. I really wanted to impress my wife on Valentine's Day. I wanted to do something super special. And can I tell you, this was in the 80s when MTV and music videos were new. This isn't going to a good place, is it, right? So I'm like, I know what I'll do. A friend of mine had something that was kind of newfangled back then in the 80s. That was a video camera. And I said to him, I said, Mike, I want to make a Valentine's Day music video for my wife. What was I thinking, right? So, so I said, hey, so we set aside a Saturday, and I went to his house, and he set up his camera, and we made a music video of me singing to my wife. Yes, it was just as bad as you imagine it would be, all right? There's me in my 80s mullet singing to my wife on Valentine's Day. And, uh, you know, we made a VHS tape of it. Some of you Google that if you don't know what that is. And, and I'm so glad the Internet didn't exist back then, right? Because there's, there's no evidence of this left. There's no trace. There's no way of seeing it. And that's a blessing. But I came to her on Valentine's Day, and I gave her a card, and I gave her a prize. And then I gave her this tape. And I will never in my life forget the look on her face as she watched our homemade music video on Valentine's Day. You know, 
afterwards, I began to think to myself, that probably wasn't a good idea. <laughs> you know, but why did I do it? I look back on it and I think, wow, Greg, what were you thinking? Well, I was trying to impress her, right? I was trying to win her admiration and respect. And here's the, here's the ironic thing about it. Maybe you have a story like this. The ironic thing about it was that I'd already kind of won that. I mean, she had married me six, seven years before that. She had promised her life to share it with me. And I had already kind of won what I was trying to win on that Valentine's Day. And here's why I share that story with us this morning. God wants you and I to move from trying to impress him with the way we live our lives, from trying to win his respect, from trying to earn his love, to rejoicing and celebrating it. You know, I asked Rhonda years later, I said, uh, what were you thinking when you watched that video of me? She was thinking, I would have really been happy with dinner and a long walk. <laughs> because that's what she really wanted, right? But, but because I was trying to impress her, you know, because I was trying to make a big splash, I actually diminished that Valentine's Day. I asked her that. I said, did that diminish Valentine's Day? She said, you could say that. You could say that that did, yeah. I mean, it was sweet. I got points for trying, right? But... Those of you who are young and all of your lives are on Tic Tac, I feel bad for you because you can't put that stuff behind you. Um, but I did. So let me ask you this morning, are, are, you, are you trying to kind of win God's respect, approval, appreciation? Are you trying to win his love? Or are you living as if you already have it and just responding to it? Most of the world, is trying to win approval, whether it's from each other or themselves or ultimately from God. They're trying to measure up. They're trying to do something that would earn that love. But we, as followers of Jesus, are very different. We know that we already have his love. And so like a mature married couple, we are responding to Valentine's Day because of the love we already have. And those are two very different things. Here's what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. You know, Pastor Weston quoted the Apostle Paul who, who wrote this just a moment ago. And, and this is from later in that same prison letter. And listen to what he said again. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. That's what I needed to do on that Valentine's Day. I needed to live up to what had already happened between Ron and me, but instead, I was trying to create something, invent something, make something new, and it ended up in the end getting in the way. Christians, followers of Jesus, are set apart because we aren't trying to measure up. Instead, we're saying thanks for the grace we've been freely given. And that makes all the difference. It creates a different kind of trying. And that's what we want to unpack and explore this morning. So in Philippians chapter 3, let's grab the context for uh, that, that verse, verse 16. Let's start with verse 12 in that chapter. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, one thing I do, he said, you know what? I forget what is behind and I strain towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. 
Paul says, I have learned how to not endlessly obsess over my failures, over falling short, over my sins even. I regret them, I repent of them, but I don't live in them. Instead, I keep putting that behind me and I keep pressing and straining towards something else, towards the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That word prize is significant. We'll come back to it in a moment. He says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. This year, Rod and I are going to have our 40th. I can guarantee you there'll be no music video, okay? There will be a long walk and a nice dinner <laughs> and something much more in touch with the love that we share. Yeah. If on some point Paul says you think differently, God will make that clear to you, and then he finishes. This is the context for that verse we opened with. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. I wonder. Are, let me invite you to ask yourself, are you trying to win God's approval? Or are you living from the knowledge that you already have it? Are you trying to deserve his love? Or are you saying, wow, he's already given it to me. I, I want to say thanks. I want to respond. I want to give something back. There's a world of difference between those two kinds of trying, and we are called to be that second kind. Let's break this down. Notice in that passage, Paul talks about straining and pressing forward. Followers of Jesus aren't passive. We're not just passing time. We're not just waiting for heaven to come someday. We are straining towards Christ-likeness. It's our ambition, it's our desire to learn how to forgive, to govern our tongues, to learn how to serve, to learn how to pray, to learn how to give, to govern our impulses. And above all, we are committed, we are pressing forward and straining towards the goal of living together as brothers and sisters, as the people of God, as his church, his bride. Christians are driven by a desire to see that reality occur in our lives. But our drivenness is not in an effort to achieve something. It's a response to what we've already been given. We come together out of gratitude and thanksgiving, knowing that God's word says that his desire is that above all, we might love each other deeply and let love cover over a multitude of sins. You know, sometimes there's this idea in our modern context that Christian faith doesn't necessitate being part of a local church. Friends, put that idea out of your head. God's first will for us is that we would love one another, that we would bind to one another, that we would live like his family. If you're a parent and you have kids, that's what you want for your kids. And in the same way, God wants that for us. And we, we out of thanksgiving for the love he's already given us, we strain towards that. We press towards that. Not because we have to, not to achieve something, but because we want to in response to what we've been given. It isn't easy, but we work at it. Can I ask you, have you, have you fallen into the trap of thinking that what God seeks in your life is a kind of passivity, a kind of sitting back, a kind of patiently waiting for heaven? That's just a piece of the picture. What he's also called us to do is a strenuous pressing, straining towards the reality of living together as God's people. Timothy Keller put it beautifully. He said, the gospel is opposed to merit, not effort. Sometimes we say, if I'm saved by grace through faith, I shouldn't put any effort. No, 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 no. No, no, we're saved by grace through faith. And because of that, we give effort in response. Because of gratitude, because of thanksgiving. Are you living that way or are you trying to prove yourself? 
You know, I mentioned before we're coming up on our 40th anniversary, and I've reached this stage of life, maybe you're there as well, where almost every day I get up and think to myself, wow, this woman has spent her entire life serving me. She, she's cooked, she's um, shared adventures, she's put up with my endless drivel about things that don't matter. She has borne with me in so many ways for so long, my flaws, my fears, and I, I feel like every day I look at her and I go, oh man, how could I ever thank her enough? What can I do today? How can I serve? I mean, this sounds kind of crazy. I think I'm getting old and sentimental, but you actually feel like this. You're like, what can I do for her? Look at what she's put up with all of her life. Look at how she bears with me and she, she like actually likes me. She actually loves me. And there's this bottomless thanksgiving in me. And I'm all the time thinking, what can I do? What can I do? God wants us to feel that in our relationship with him. Not to try to earn or achieve or deserve the love that he's given us, but to receive it and then respond out of thanksgiving. It's a dramatically, radically different way of living. Lots of people, because they're trying to impress God or trying to deserve something, they set out to give God gifts that, that he doesn't really want. <laughs> you know, their success or their achievement or their renown or their respect, what he wants, what he wants us to give him, what touches his heart most deeply, Jesus said, is our love for one another. A new command I give you, love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. And here's the thing, friends. If we're not careful... Our faith becomes an endless self-assessment instead of the joy of thanksgiving. We end up spending all of our time looking in the mirror, saying, have I made a good enough music video? <laughs> the answer is no, you haven't, all right? But the good news is, you didn't need to. A long walk, fellowship, intimacy, dinner, that's what God was seeking all along. The Bible is so clear about this. John chapter 6 tells us some men asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Boy, there's a to-the-point question. And Jesus answered and said, the work of God, here's what I want you to do. The work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. Simply to believe that he loves you, that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. That's all he's asking. Because when we do that, what flows out of that is infinitely more significant. And that's what the Lord invites us to. That is why we strain and press and grow, not because we have to, but just to give thanks for what he's given us. Apostle Paul puts it, uh, the same idea in another way over in 1 Corinthians 9 when he writes this. He says, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? There's that word again, we'll come back to it. Run in such a way, Greg, as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that won't last. We do it to get a crown that'll last forever. Therefore, he says, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, instead, catch this. I beat my body. I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I won't be disqualified for the prize. Two things to note here. First of all, Paul's talking about an active lifestyle, an engaged effort to learn how to pray, to learn how to serve, to learn how to give, to learn how to forgive, to learn how to control my worst impulses, to learn how to be humble, all those things, to learn how to be holy. That's, that is something that we don't just wait to see happen. That is something we are engaged in cooperatively with God in order to bring it back. 
But then let me dodge a misunderstanding here. When he talks about the prize, he mentions it three times here. He mentioned it over in Philippians 3. Don't misunderstand. The prize in this case is not salvation itself. We already have that by grace through faith. The prize in this passage is the medal that a winner gets at like the Olympic Games. So let me paint the background. In Paul's day, there was what was called the Corinthian Games. They were held in the city of Corinth, strangely enough. And the Corinthian Games were the precursor to the Olympic Games. They looked very much like our modern games. A group of people would race or con compete in some way. And then at the end, one would get a gold, one would get a silver, one would get a bronze. And all the others who participated or competed would get what's called a, a crown, a victor's crown, a wreath of honor, okay? But the point of it was not what we think. It wasn't like today. The point of it was everybody who competed in the games got this crown. And so throughout the week during the festival, all their lodging was free. All their food was free. They were saluted wherever they went. But ultimately what they would do with their medal or crown was give it to their patron, whoever had provided for them and taken care of them so that they could concentrate on training for the games. So the, the, what they earned was given back to their patron in appreciation for enabling them to compete. And so what Paul is talking about here is that we, out of gratitude, choose to live a life of sacrifice, of serving, of forgiving, of all those things in order that we can eventually, as Paul tells Timothy later on, cast our crown before Jesus. Say to Jesus, here's my thank you. And the big idea, gang, is that we don't have to do this. We do this out of gratitude for what we've been given. And that makes us very different than the world around us. I love to tell the story of a friend of mine when I lived in northern Idaho. Uh, when he was a boy, he would go to his grandfather's house sometimes on weekends. And grandpa and grandma lived up in the woods. They had actually homesteaded in northern Idaho back in the day. And grandpa was a, a logger all his life. And he had lost three fingers, two on one hand, one on the other. And my friend remembers as a boy, whenever grandma would leave to go into town to get groceries, run an errand, whatever, very often, Grandpa would ask him to come out on the porch with him, and he would ask my friend, who was his grandson, just a boy, uh, to help him learn to shuffle cards. Now, that sounds like not a big deal, but let me tell you why. For Throughout their marriage, Grandma and Grandpa, at the end of the day, would go out after dinner on the porch and play gin rummy together. This was a long tradition they'd had. And grandma was the only one who knew how to shuffle the cards. So grandma would always shuffle the cards. But when my boy was, uh, or when my friend was a grandson of a boy, he, uh, grandpa, or grandma started to develop arthritis in her hands. And she couldn't shuffle the cards anymore. And so grandpa was secretly trying to learn how to shuffle with his seven fingers so that grandma wouldn't have to shuffle in the evening and they could still play gin rummy together. Friends, that's the kind of trying that God calls us to, not to prove something, not to earn something, but to celebrate something we've already been given, which is his love. And this is incredibly important because what gets in the way of this is our desire to prove ourselves, which then often leads to kind of a, a, a self-pity when we don't get what we think we deserve. The feeling of entitlement that the world or life or God or the people around us haven't given us what we think we deserve leads to feeling sorry for ourselves. And then that feeds this desire to prove ourselves. Over in Luke chapter 17, Jesus told a story that 
much, many of us struggle to understand in a modern context. And let me share it with you real quick. Jesus says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing and looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, so got this servant, he's working for you, he comes in from the field. He said, would the master say, come along now and sit down to eat? No. Would he not rather say to the servant, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you can eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. We get hung up with this. We say, wait a minute, it's not fair. The servant should be able to sit down and eat too. He's been working all day. But what we miss in the context is that the servant in that time, in that story, wouldn't have any ability to even serve at all, gain income, if the master hadn't already given him patronage. The master had chosen him. So the servant, if he's wise and healthy and understands his circumstances, understands his situation, would be eager to serve first before he sits down and eats himself. So what Jesus is talking about here is that sense of entitlement that sometimes comes over us. Hey, I deserve this. I deserve that. Uh, I, I feel sorry for myself because nobody has given me what I think I deserve. Believers are immune to that. We recognize instead, and let me just brace you here. This is grown-up time, all right? The reality is that the music video of our lives, it deserves eternal condemnation. What do I deserve for the way I've lived my life? I deserve hell, eternal separation from God. That's what the Bible says. All have sinned, all, and fall short of the glory of God, me. And that doesn't just mean that I've done bad things. It means I have, mostly it means I haven't done good things. It means there was a lot of good I could have done that I never chose to do. That's why James says, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. The flesh, the sinful nature, the worst part of us rebels against this. We say, oh, I'm not bad. I'm better than most. God says, Greg, no, you're not. I see right down to your heart. I see all the opportunities you had that you ignored. I see all the times when you weren't who you should have been. And that reality, until that reality humbles me, until that reality humbles you, we can't feel the joy of thanksgiving. We can't feel the power of grace. We're unable to live in this kind of trying because instead we're trying to prove ourselves. The Bible makes this very clear. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6 23 says, the wages of sin is death. In other words, the penalty for not being who we should be, God doesn't just wink and say, oh, boys will be boys. He says, no, no, I, I expect a lot because the people around you need a lot. So the wages of sin is death. Church, you and I will never know the joy of thanksgiving for grace until we confess that we are sinners deserving of hell. But when we do, then we discover that freely given grace, and it makes all the difference. C.S. Lewis put it beautifully. He says, no man knows how great a sinner he is until he's tried very hard to be good. And most of us, maybe all of us, never really have lived that to its fullness. A Christian is a person who would never, ever say, we're almost done, please hear me, friends, I'm talking about your soul. A follower of Jesus is a person who would never, ever say, I'm a good person, would never, ever say, I'm better than those people. 
Instead, a follower of Jesus would say, oh God, forgive me my sins and teach me the humility that comes from it. You know, that was the journey of Peter. You remember Peter? Jesus is going to the cross. He says, I'm gonna get arrested. I'm gonna be crucified. They're gonna take me away. Peter says, I won't let it happen, Lord. I'll fight. Jesus says, I know you think you mean that, Peter, but the truth is you're gonna get scared tonight. And when this happens, you're gonna deny me three times to my face. Peter says, never, not me. These, and, and he has the gall to say this. These other guys might, but not me. That's where a lot of us live. And Jesus said, oh, tonight it'll happen. And the very next morning, it does happen. Peter finds himself in that moment. He thinks he's brave, but he finds out he isn't. And the Bible says he went away and wept bitterly. He discovered the truth about himself. And then beautifully on Easter morning, Jesus calls him back, calls for him by name. Peter comes to him. And now Peter's got a very different attitude. Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? And he uses the the highest word for love, agape. And Peter can't say he does. He says, no, I phileo you, Lord, a lower kind of love. Peter says, and Jesus says, do you agape me? He says, I wish I did, but I've learned the truth about me. I phileo you. And then out of that humility, out of that discovery about himself, Jesus says, okay, I want you to be the leader of my sheep. I want you to teach him. I've got a mission for you for the rest of your life. Because now Peter knows the truth about himself and he's free to serve in the way that we're talking about. Let me ask you, are you? Are you trying to impress God? Are you trying to win his approval? Or are you saying, God, you've given it to me. What can I give back? You see, Christians try differently. Can I get very personal with you? There's not a day that goes by. I, I've been privileged to be the pastor here at MRCC for 17 years. There's not a day that goes by that I don't say, I'm not worried. These people deserve so much more. This church deserves better leadership, better teaching, a better man in every way. And over and over and over again, I look in the mirror and I say, you're not enough. But God says, I called you to this by grace. I've given you my grace to do this. And then all of you keep showing up <laughs> and you keep giving and you keep serving and you keep forgiving me and you keep looking past my faults and you keep bearing with me when I make mistakes. And you know what that creates inside of me is the same thing I have with my wife, this endless sense of thanksgiving. What can I do? How can I give something back? And that is actually where joy is found. And that's what God wants for you. It's not just for me. It's for all of us. That's the kind of trying that the Lord is talking about here. One of the greatest things we can learn is to be free from expectation and entitlement so that we're able to be a sacrifice. Here, I tell you something I say to our staff. I say, when somebody comes a member of the staff at MRCC, I say this, look, I need you to understand that you are totally expendable. If God the Father saw fit for the sake of his church, to sovereignly arrange for the public murder of his own firstborn son. Then guess how expendable you and me are. <laughs> and so I say, hey, if you come on the staff at MRCC, you come and say, I'm expendable. <laughs> I'm here to be used. I am here to serve. And, and God wants that for all, because inside of that is actually the joy we were looking for all along. Because it comes from resting in God's grace. And that's the challenge that he puts in front of us. So, uh, We've got five minutes left. How do we live this out? Let me give you four things real quick. We'll be done. First of all, remember that nobody owes us anything. 
Maybe you're living in out of a sense of, hey, I, people owe me. No, they don't. God doesn't owe you. Your neighbor doesn't owe you. You don't owe you. Nobody owes you anything. The scripture says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All we deserve, all we deserve is condemnation, but we are given grace by confession. So just understand that nobody owes you anything. Second, that despite the fact that nobody owes you anything, God has given you everything in Christ. When you believed in Jesus, God gave you an inheritance, the Bible says, that goes forever. Here's how Peter writes about it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, and in this you greatly rejoice. You've been given everything, church. What do you have to look forward to forever in God's house with everything you've ever dreamed you would ever maybe want? Most of all, his grace that covers all your sins. Most of all, his love that is endless for you personally. He's given you everything. Remember that. Third, because of that, we are free to serve everyone we can. We can't lose. Jesus put it this way. He said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Our ambition is to give our lives. Maybe you're trying to save your life. It's hopeless. Do you know what the death statistics are? I saw this in USA Today. One in one people die. Have you ever noticed this? Everybody dies. It's universal. Yeah. But, but while everyone dies, Robert DeBruce said, not everyone lives. The ones who live are the ones who give, who sacrifice, who give themselves away. So we, we serve because of that. And that creates finally an enjoyable, godly freedom because it creates contentment. Godliness with contentment, the Bible says, is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. Newsflash. Okay, if you didn't know this, we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, that's enough. We will be content. In all of our wants, really what we're grasping for is contentment. And the contentment comes from knowing we don't have to prove anything to God. We're serving him out of thanksgiving. Let me finish with a story this morning. Oh, gosh, it's been about, uh, I'm going to say, 20 years ago. Uh, it was... a. Uh, a gloomy, wet, dark Northwest winter like we're always used to. Okay? And in January of that year, we got an opportunity to take a week off. Isaiah was about 12, and Rhonda and I and him got to take a week off, and we were going to, Rhonda wanted sunshine more than anything else. She was craving a little bit of sunshine. So we decided we'd get a and b fly down to San Diego, just spend a few days, Monday through Friday, you know, go down to the beaches when everybody's at work, and just kind of soak up a little sunshine because she was desperate for it. So... We made our arrangements and we jumped on the plane. We flew down to San Diego. Well, when we were driving out of the airport with the rental car uh, and also when we were flying in, I looked down at San Diego Harbor and there's all those gorgeous, beautiful Navy ships down there. And I looked down, I said, oh, that's right. The USS Midway is down there. Now, the Midway is like 60-year-old aircraft carrier left over from the end of World War II. Nobody cares except me, right? I looked down, oh, look, that's the Midway. And then as we're driving away in the car, I said, wow, I forgot that the Midway is parked down here at San Diego Harbor. Wow, that's cool. My wife says to me, do you want to go visit it? I said, does a bear poop in the woods? Yes, I do want to go visit it. Yes, I do. But I, I'm thinking to myself, but we came down here to go to the beach. She says, no, let's go to the Midway. So we drive to it. There's a museum out front. You can go see that. And that's all. But the guy that was there said, hey, I can let you inside on a weekday. Would you like to tour the inside of the boat? Yes. 
boat. It's not a boat, it's a ship. But anyway, we went into it and we spent the next four hours hiking around the inside of this musty old piece of junk, right? And the whole time I'm like, oh, Rhonda, this is this. And I'm telling my 12-year-old son, who really doesn't care, about everything that happened in all these rooms. And we're going into every nook and cranny. We're opening doors. We're looking at stuff. Four hours of this. I'm lost in my happiness, right? And I forgot that my wife just wanted some sunshine. <laughs> but every time I said to her, hey, do you want to go? She says, when you're ready, when you're done. Finally, after four hours, we get in the car and we leave, and I'm just full to the brim with joy because I'm weird. And all of a sudden, it hits me. Neither of them complained once. They did that whole thing just for me. N neither of them wanted to go there. If I just said, do you want to stay in the car? They said, yes. But they didn't. They went all the way through it. And I remember driving away going, holy cow. She really loves me. And for the rest of that week, all I said every day was, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to eat? What do you want to do today? Whatever you want, that's what I want. All week, I was trying to make it up to her. And there was a joy in that. That's how God invites you and me to live. We've been given everything. Now we offer back our thanksgiving. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? And let me ask you, just human to human, in your own heart, have you been trying to prove that you deserve something? Have you been trying to earn God's approval with some kind of whacked music video called Your Achievements? Have you been desperately hoping that you could measure up and earn His love? Here's the truth. You already have it. He gives it to you in Christ Jesus. You already have it. He wants you to feel that, settle down in it, and then just give thanks. He wants you to try, but it's a different kind of trying. It's a trying that comes from being secure in his love, being thankful for his grace. And there's power in it unlike any other power you'll ever find in your life. But it begins with you receiving his grace, believing in it and then living from it. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, sometimes we get so caught up with ourselves that we feel like the world owes us something. And what a trap that is. What a prison that becomes. But you have taught us that we have everything in your son. Help us to live from that freedom, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? <clears throat> Apologize for the way I sound. Won't apologize for the way I look because there's nothing I can do about that. But yeah, gratitude, thanksgiving. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.